Hello and welcome to HealthQuest, dedicated to nutrition and your good health. Support for HealthQuest has been provided by some of America's best nutritional companies. And now, HealthQuest, with your host, Steve Lankford. Hello, and welcome back to HealthQuest. I'm your host, Steve Lankford. Thanks for joining me. I'm glad you're here. I have an interesting show for you today. I'm going to be talking once again to Mark Kaler. You've heard Mark here previously. He has several interesting interviews. You're going to want to listen to them. Those together will give you a great context to the subject of mushrooms, radiant health, all kinds of things that you can apply to your particular circumstances. Mark has worked in the natural products industry for over 30 years, and he's a leading holistic health educator. He's also a formulator. He's helped in the development of nutritional supplements. He's co-authored a book on Syndrome X and SX Fraction. And he's a frequent guest on health talk shows and throughout the industry. He's been influential for over 30 years, and it's in the capacity of his understanding of working with clients who have actual health issues that I've brought him back to discuss some of the very interesting concerns that people have over brain health. This is one that a lot of people are concerned about. As we age, there are issues. We're going to talk about those today with Mark. It's in that capacity. It's my pleasure to introduce to you once again, Mark Kaler. Mark, welcome back to HealthQuest. Thank you. It's great to be back. Looking forward to today's conversation. Well, yes, every time you and I speak, it's an interesting conversation. You're a wealth of knowledge about these nutritional products. Before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about brain health and aging and how one can consider protecting their brain. Lead us in that discussion. Well, I think this concern is actually quite justifiable. The survey that was done a number of years ago showed that dementia or Alzheimer's is actually the second leading disease fear that we have among Americans. So this is something that concerns many of us. There are a number of factors that really go into this mix, and I think it makes it one of those conditions or maybe syndromes that oftentimes make it a little more difficult to treat because it's not as simple as, hey, I caught this virus, now I'm coming down with this disease, or I have inflammation in my knees and I'm diagnosed with arthritis. Alzheimer's and dementia and brain-related functionality issues are very complex. They're multifactorial. There are a number of risk factors involved with these things, anywhere from sleep to obesity to thyroid health to possible infection in the brain, possible overactivity of the immune system, free radical damage, inflammation. There's so many different variables that are involved in keeping our brain healthy and to a large degree keeping our bodies healthy, that I think it makes it a very difficult condition to deal with, to confront, to treat, and to prevent. But the nice thing is, is there are lots of things out there that the research does suggest may have some benefits for us as far as prevention, maybe even as far as therapeutic application. This is particularly key when we look at dementia in particular because the simple reality is that currently, right now, Western medicine does not really have a treatment for it. It may surprise people. They don't even have a good diagnostic tool for it yet, although we're getting closer and closer to having that diagnostic tool. The only time you can really be precisely diagnosed with Alzheimer's nowadays is once you've passed on and they've done an autopsy and looked at your brain. 
it's important for us, I think, to operate on that preventative protocol in this area because it is something that's of major concern, clearly hugely impacting. We're not talking about just losing memory. We're talking about losing, in a sense, who we are, the essence of who we are, our memories from 10 years ago, from five minutes ago, our personality even to some degree, our ability to function and get around in the world, all of these can be threatened with less than optimal functioning of the brains. This is something that I think is a very relevant topic for all of us. Does the topic then also include these other, perhaps less serious memory issues, people starting to forget where they put things or forget first names or things like that? Or are we really only focusing on the more serious iteration of these challenges, the more serious types of memory loss and dementia? That's actually a really good question. The good part of this question really is the fact that the things that we want to do to keep our mind just operating at optimal levels, quick thinking, good memory, sharp, energized, are really all the things we also want to do to prevent these neurodegenerative diseases from happening. In many ways, they're also the things we want to do to treat those conditions. While they are certainly very different things that are going on in the body, certainly the severity and risk and implications of them are quite different. The things we need to do to keep our brains and memory operating the way they really should be, as well as preventing these serious conditions and to treat these serious conditions, there's a tremendous amount of overlap. Now, obviously, prevention, you probably don't need to do as many of these things, but if you're in a high-risk category, if you're showing signs of it, one of those situations that the more you do, probably the better. Do we know or understand yet what actually is going wrong in the brain with these kinds of conditions? The answer is yes, and the answer is no. We know about a lot of what's going on in the brain. We know there's a lot of free radical damage. We know there's a lot of chronic inflammation going on in the brain. We know there are certain things going on with types of cells in the brain called glial cells. We know there's issues with the myelin sheath, which is the coating, kind of like a coating around a wire that coats our neurons. So we know a lot of things that are going on, but at the same time, fundamentally, we don't know really what are the causal variables, what is actually causing this degradation, or what are the kind of side effects of the degradation. A good example of this is amyloid beta plaque, which I think many people immediately associate with Alzheimer's and dementia. We're not 100% sure whether amyloid beta plaque is actually causing the Alzheimer's and dementia, whether it's a side effect that's causing other damage to the brain. We don't know where viruses fit into the thing. There's just so many questions out there that are left unanswered that it's really going to be a decade or two, I think, before we even have a reasonably clear understanding of what's going on when we talk about the aging brain. This gets to the fundamental point, which I think is most essential to realize, and that is if we're really talking about a long, healthy brain life, as far as memory and vitality and energy and focus, recall, all of those things that we want, we really have to approach this from a very holistic manner. You've got to talk about lifestyle. You've got to talk about are you getting enough sleep? Are you exercising? We know stress is certainly a major risk factor for inflammation for free radical damage. There are studies showing high chronic levels of stress are certainly a good predictor of Alzheimer's and dementia and other brain malfunctions later in life. It's really key, and I think it points to the path that we really need to approach this from that multifactorial perspective. I think it really can only be done 
when we approach it in a holistic manner, I honestly believe that they're never going to come down with like a single drug or a handful of drugs. They're going to work across the board for Alzheimer's and dementia because, again, it's so multifactorial. While the end result may be the same in a number of people that have been diagnosed with dementia or faulty memory or Alzheimer's, the path they live to get there is oftentimes very, very different. And to think that there's going to be one drug that's going to work across all those different paths, I think is slightly unreasonable. This is where nutrition, good lifestyle choices, the right supplementation can have really profound impacts because they can really tie into that basic functioning, that holistic approach to health and healing, particularly as it relates to the brain. I think that's why people come to listen to podcasts like ours, is those who understand that modern medicine, as wonderful and as expansive as it has become, does not answer all the questions of health. It is how modern medicine addresses disease. Nutrition, on the other hand, approaches how do we nourish the body in the process that it can heal itself, that the brain, that the body can do many miraculous things, but it cannot do many things if we don't give it the core and essential nutrients to do that. So nutrition does something on one side of the equation. It nourishes the body and sets the stage for things to change. Medicine intervenes, does not offer the nutritional support. So nutrition doesn't do what drugs do. Drugs don't do what nutrition does. So let's not confuse the two approaches. They might both be very necessary, but certainly without addressing the nutritional component, it's hard for me to see how do we get better if we're not taking those nutrients that we need in order to change that status. That's the point that I think we're both trying to make here. Let's talk a little bit about the type of supplements that have been shown to be helpful for the brain. Give us an overview of what kinds of things people can consider. I think you're absolutely right on when you try to delineate what drugs are going to be doing for us, what pharmaceuticals are going to do versus proper nutrition versus taking some of these supplements. The nutritional supplemental path really works on a fundamental functioning of the body, basically trying to make it operate at optimal levels, make it do what it's supposed to do help it deal with the consequences of the modern life. So if we're creating more inflammation, reducing that inflammation. The path of the pharmaceutical drugs are really going to be more symptomatic. In many ways, they may turn out to be quite compatible in the long run, and we'll see as these things develop. As I mentioned earlier, you really need to approach, I think, a healthy brain and certainly these serious brain disorders that are associated with aging process on a number of levels. First is, I mentioned free radicals are a big player in this. One big culprit actually is iron. Free iron has been shown in the brain. It actually gets taken up into the cells where it basically rusts. It oxidizes. And that creates a lot of free radical damage. So making sure our iron levels are at healthy levels, not too much iron, making sure that there's not too much free iron, I think is absolutely essential. You can use chelators if you're concerned about that. Quercetin is actually a really good chelator of too much iron in the system. Actually, mushrooms in general, just as part of our diet, tend to be really good chelators. Taking some good antioxidants, and there's some that I think that stand out particularly as it relates to brain health. The first is the old standby, vitamin C. There are a number of studies indicating vitamin C levels are associated with brain health over the long run. Alpha-lipoic acid, probably one of the most potent and versatile antioxidants we have available to us, certainly fights those free radicals. It's shown to have a neuroprotective action, so it keeps those cells healthy. 
It's been shown to help maintain insulin levels, and we know that insulin is a major problem as it relates to brain health. In fact, some people call Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes, so making sure that insulin sensitivity is operating at key levels is really important. Grape seed extract is another really key antioxidant that's been shown to be useful and shown to reduce the buildup of plaque. And then there are a couple foods that I think are potent antioxidants that have brain-specific benefits to them, and that are blueberries, great antioxidants, great anti-inflammatories, strawberries, there's intriguing new research on it with a substance called fisetin, which also has that neuroprotective, brain-energizing quality to it. Good anti-inflammatories are absolutely essential. The all-star in this category is absolutely turmeric. There are numerous studies showing benefits of turmeric for brain and brain health, both for just general health, general prevention, as well as treatment, and on a number of different levels. So to me, turmeric is absolutely essential. B vitamins, while essential for overall health, obviously they're essential nutrients for us, are certainly key to brain health, in particular folate, not folic acid. I want to specify folate. And I know you've had some other podcasts where you deal specifically with that issue. B6, B12, B5, and more specifically, pantothene, niacin, choline. These are all B vitamins that are absolutely essential to brain functioning. These are also nutrients that when shown, when the body is deficient in these nutrients, these neurodegenerative conditions actually show up. In some situations, mental disorders have actually been diagnosed when it was fundamentally just a B vitamin deficiency. So making sure we're getting plenty of Bs is key. Making sure that mitochondria, those little energy centers in our cells are operating at optimal levels. The combination of acetyl-L-carnitine and alpha-lipoic acid, I think, are wonderful longevity and particularly mitochondrial and brain supportive actions. Real promising, intriguing research there. Membrane health, something we tend to neglect, I think. Nobody really thinks I got to make sure my membranes are operating at optimal levels. But really key, again, when it relates specifically to brain health, making sure you're getting enough omega-3s in relationship to omega-6s, DHA, again, another substance I know you've done podcasts on specifically. Then there are various kind of lecithin derivatives that are useful for maintaining the healthy integrity of those membranes, phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylserine, cytocholine, glycerol phosphate, GPC choline. Those are really key. The long standard ginkgo biloba, I think, is the one for There are studies showing it useful for mild to moderate Alzheimer's and dementia, showing some benefits with it. But it's interesting with ginkgo is that it's a great herb for the brain, but it's good for the brain when there's a circulatory deficiency. I always find it interesting that virtually every brain formula in this country and in every health food store always has ginkgo in it. But ginkgo really is for a more targeted audience as it relates to the brain, at least. And that has to do with maintaining good circulation to the brain. If that's an issue, certainly ginkgo is wonderful. I mentioned before how important insulin resistance is in the ballgame as it relates to specifically Alzheimer's. That lack of sensitivity to those cells in the brain mean those brain cells just aren't getting enough fuel. They're not energized. They can't do what they're supposed to do. They don't function well, which means our memory's not good. We're not making the connections that we're supposed to. Everything can just degrade over time. So making sure our cells are responding properly to insulin is absolutely key, certainly for treatment and long-term health. The SX fraction from the maitake mushroom is key. We're hearing a lot in the press about coconut oil, particularly as it relates to the brain. And this is really where it ties into brain health and particularly to Alzheimer's disease. What can happen is since the cells are no longer being able to utilize sugar to burn for fuel, they need to look for another source. 
They can look for these substances called medium-chain triglycerides, MCT, which coconut oil happens to be very rich in. You can also get it by itself. The brain cells can actually use this MCT oil for fuel instead of the sugar so they can actually energize and the brain can start going about doing what it's doing. I think it's important to note that even though there's been a ton of hype with the coconut oil, that we have to keep in mind that it really, in this sense, is not a cure for Alzheimer's and dementia, as many people are unfortunately trying to sell it, but it really works to help improve the functioning of those cells in the brain that are no longer responding to sugars. It can help provide mild to moderate relief, but I don't want anybody to get too carried away thinking it's the be-all, end-all, cure-all for Alzheimer's and for brain health. And then there are a number of herbs which have a long history of use, I think, for brain health and some pretty intriguing research over the last few years. Ginseng is a traditional standby in the natural foods industry. Bacopa or Brahmi, an Ayurvedic remedy, has been shown to improve memory in general as well. Ashwagandha I like a lot because it has some brain-specific actions to it but also lower stress levels, which we know contribute to this whole process. Using these types of herbs, things like ginseng, bacopa, ashwagandha, and actually two mushrooms, reishi and cordyceps, both have been shown to be neuroprotective, as well as kind of balance the whole body, really brings something to the table that no pharmaceutical and even no isolated nutrient can do, and that is really dealing with the body in a more holistic manner, more systemically, as well as having those brain-specific actions. Those are just some of the things we can do to help keep our brain operating at optimal levels. The nice thing about virtually all of these things is they have benefits for the rest of the body as well. I know that you've just covered a broad range of ingredients, nutrients that people should consider. It's important for them to consider because these different nutrients offer different benefits. Vitamin C doesn't do the same thing as curcumin, turmeric, that don't do the same thing as B vitamins, etc. It is the process of each individual to discover those nutrients, and you've laid out a broad range of nutrients as well. I know that your particular interest is in the mushrooms. I want to move on to some of those mushrooms that you and I have talked about in the past for brain health. But I want to interject here for our listeners. We want to make sure that we're not talking about cures and drugs and that people keep this distinct in their minds. Because if you have this distinct, then when you look at nutrition, you know that what you're doing is nourishing your body. That's your target. And nourish it in a way that makes sense based on the evidence that's out there. What you've done for us, Mark, is you've given our listeners a lot of things that they can explore further if they have these concerns. I want to explore with you these mushrooms that are showing these specific benefits for the brain, because this is very exciting research and offers a lot of potential and hope for those who are dealing with this. So introduce us to some of those mushroom extracts. I mentioned previously that both reishi and cordyceps have shown benefit for protecting healthy cells from degradation, from breakdown, so that they can keep functioning, doing what they're supposed to be doing. But the new kid on the block in this area is a mushroom called lion's mane. It's actually a mushroom that looks something like a lion's mane. It's white. It has these long tendrils. So it's very different from the common mushroom that we think of, the nice little stem and a little cap on top. This lion's mane mushroom has been around for a long time. It's been used for thousands of years in traditional Chinese medicine. They use it as a chi tonic just for overall energy and health of the body. This kind of gets to the point of the general holistic approach and gifts that these remedies bring to the table. It's been said to increase vigor and strength, 
to improve overall nutrition. In fact, it was used for chronic digestive weakness. For people who know they have a lot of digestive issues, lion's mane is a good herb to use because it strengthens that digestive tract over a long period of time. So it increases more chi and more life force so that the digestive tract can repair itself, balance itself, do what it's supposed to be doing, and get on with it. But over the last, I don't know, 10, maybe 15 years, there's been some real intriguing research about lion's mane as it relates specifically to the brain and the neurological system. To this day, I've never been able to find out why someone chose lion's mane to explore on this investigative path, but whoever decided to start this process, I'm quite thankful that they did because the research is extraordinarily promising. One of the things you were mentioning in the lead-in here is companies are making claims about this and that. Ask them for that backup. Where's the support? How do you know it's doing these types of things? That's one of the nice things about the lion's mane mushroom is we have some laboratory studies, we have some animal studies, and we have a handful now and a growing body of clinical studies confirming that lion's mane and specifically certain compounds in the lion's mane are beneficial and helpful for the brain. There were two studies that were initially done using lion's mane just as a food, and it is an edible mushroom, has kind of a mild seafoody flavor to it. One used lion's mane in soup. They gave the soup to a group of older individuals. I think it was about five grams of it a day. It was a small group. It was only about seven people. Seven out of those seven actually saw improvements in what's called functional independence measurements. That means the ability to kind of just function and take care of themselves on a day-to-day basis. It's the type of thing that we all take for granted. We know how to pick up a pen and write with it. We know car keys are car keys. We know what to do with a toothbrush those types of things. But that's not the case in Alzheimer's and dementia. So we saw improvements in that overall ability to function in life and everybody that was eating the lion's mane soup. Another measurement they actually looked at were various physiological measurements. They saw an improvement in capillaries, meaning blood flows to the brain. They saw improvements in problem solving and communication and memory and six out of seven of those people. These were all individuals that had serious cases of Alzheimer's and dementia Three of the seven actually were able to get up out of bed, start walking to the lunchroom to eat and feed themselves and take care of themselves. Just eating the mushroom and the soup had a tremendous impact on it. And the cookie study was very, very similar. They saw those same types of benefits. They saw improvements in memory. They saw improvements in certain dementia scale quite significantly. Again, these were all older individuals showing signs of cognitive impairment. One study looked at 18 patients. They did about I think three grams of it a day, so not a lot of it. Half of them saw significant improvement. Again, showing some real promise and intrigue, just using it as a food. The nice thing about this is this led to further research. So they said, okay, if eating the mushroom is good, you know, maybe we should do a little more research, look at the mushroom, find out what's in that mushroom, what may be benefiting, and maybe we can get better and stronger results using these more refined, more concentrated extracts. And that's exactly what they found. Tell us about that extract then. Is this research that you're describing, is that done with the whole mushroom, such as with a soup or something like that, or was it done with an extract? Apparently, some was done initially with the mushroom and soups as foods and so on, and now we're moving into the look of a mushroom extract. Is that right? Absolutely. What they started to do then was actually look at the different compounds that are in the lion's mane mushroom and say what classes the compounds in here are responsible for and can give us that therapeutic level that we need. 
eating the mushrooms saw roughly half of the people improve significantly in that study. So what can we do to improve those standards? And they found basically two classes of compounds in there. One is the class of compounds called hericinone, and specific hericinones even more precisely. They found that these compounds that are common to the lion's mane mushroom stimulate a substance called nerve growth factor. Nerve growth factor is a substance that the body naturally produces. It's the central nervous system's and brain's repair mechanism. So if there's a damage or injury, the body starts producing and secreting nerve growth factor, which stimulates that repair process. The study is done, I think in the early 80s it was, showed that when you actually pump nerve growth factor directly into the brain, in this case, a woman with Alzheimer's disease, they actually saw, I think for the first time, reversal of the disease by pumping nerve growth factor into their brain. That's not a real plausible response. It's not something that we can all do. First of all, you have to drill a hole in the brain to pump nerve growth factor into it because it doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier. So you couldn't take it orally. You couldn't inject it. So you had to pump it directly into the brain. With a hole in the head, eventually that's going to get infected, and the infection may end up killing the person. So not working in that regard. It's also extraordinarily expensive, something like hundreds of thousands of dollars a month to do this. So they started looking for natural substances that would stimulate nerve growth factor within the brain. So the substance had to cross the blood-brain barrier, get into the brain, and then start stimulating the brain's endogenous production of this nerve growth factor. Lo and behold, they found out the lion's mane, in particular the hericinone compound, actually were able to cross the blood-brain barrier, get in there, and actually stimulate the brain to start producing these substances. We know nerve growth factor at higher levels can help repair those cells, can help maintain the health of those myelin sheath. Many people believe that the health of the myelin sheath is the fundamental issue when it relates to Alzheimer's. We also know that the buildup of plaque is problematic in the brain. And these hericinone compounds have been shown to decrease or prevent the buildup of that plaque in the brain. The second set of compounds, which we actually discovered, we call it amylobin. This has a protective action on those healthy cells. This is really key because it allows the hericinone to work on the damage itself. At the same time, it protects the healthy cells from the damage that's normally associated with that plaque and that myelin sheath damage. It can keep these other cells from actually becoming problematic and losing functionality and having issues of their own. So it works on a very, again, almost a holistic manner in that it works targeted on areas of concern. At the same time, it has this protective action on other parts of the brain to keep them healthy and to keep them functioning at optimal levels. If somebody was looking for this benefit, would they look for a product that said lion's mane on it? Or what would be the thing that would give them the clue that they're getting the best or the most concentrated form of the mushroom? That's an excellent question. I think if you just want to use it for general prevention, I think a basic lion's mane product is probably going to be good and effective for you. If you know you're at high risk, you know it runs in the family, there's a gene that's associated with dramatically increased risk for Alzheimer's. If you know you have it or it runs in the family, you might want to go to a more therapeutically oriented product. It's a product called Amylobin 3399. It's a patented product. 3399 refers to the number of the patent. It's a concentration of those two classes of compounds, the hericinones and the amylobin. Getting back to your original point about the claims that people are making, yeah, it's great to say this does all these wonderful things for the brain. The nice thing about the amylobin 3399 is we now have three clinical studies 
that have been completed using it for Alzheimer's and dementia treatment. We see improvements in that functional independence measurement. We see improvements in quality of life. We see improvements in memory, mood, balance, perception. One study even measured wandering. We know people with Alzheimer's oftentimes have spatial issues and they can have a tendency to wander off. So we saw significant improvements with that. Another intriguing thing about this research using this amylobin 3399 is that the studies were done anywhere from two to three months to about six months in time. They started seeing benefits and improvements in a fairly short period of time. So it's not something that you necessarily have to take for five or six years and on faith that, yeah, hopefully it's doing something for me. This research shows significant improvements in all those measures that we're really looking to improve as far as brain health goes in a fairly short period of time. To me, this is really, really intriguing. The company that makes the product is real excited about. They now have a multi-clinic trial ongoing. Obviously, it's going to take some time because Alzheimer's disease is not a quickly occurring, quickly treatable type disorder. So they're going out and doing a multi-clinic trial on it to hopefully confirm and maybe get a little more guideline and understanding of what it's useful for. An interesting side is that since it stimulates the nerve growth factor, you could also use it for any sort of peripheral nerve damage. And that was actually my first experience with the lion's man with the amylobin 3399. There was an individual who had surgery on his hand, and in the surgery, they had actually severed the nerve. The doctors basically told him, unfortunately, it was his right hand, and he was right-handed. They just told him, hey, learn to use your other hand and get by with it because there's nothing that can be done about it. He went on lion's mane amylobin 3399. I saw him six months later, and he was able to actually grasp and write and do many of the things that he was basically told he was never going to be able to do ever again. I've got hands-on experience with it. I use it personally, and I notice when I take it, I'm just sharper and quicker. The mind's just functioning at that optimal level. I think we're really at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the benefits that Lion's Mane and specifically the amylobin 3399 has for the brain and central nervous system. I've really come to the conclusion that I think this is a great overall tonic for all things brain and central nervous system related. I think the research and the growing body of research is supporting that. It's nice to have this clinical research backing up what we have theorized it may be doing for us. That's, in fact, why we wanted to talk to you, so that we could point people to this research. Now, in these studies, was the dosage that was used similar to what people would see on the label if they buy a bottle of this, that they know that they're taking the amount that was used in the studies? That's a really, really important question, and I'm really glad you brought up that issue. This is unfortunately something our industry can be a little shaky on here and there. We'll put a little bit of something in there and kind of claim it has those benefits. The nice thing about this is that the amylobin 3399 is the exact material that was used in the studies at the dose that was used in those studies. You're getting the exact product that was used in these clinical studies that is being used in the ongoing studies, and it's being dosed at exactly the dose and the strength that was used. So you can know that if you use the amylobin 3399, you're getting it in the same way, the same fashion, the same strength that the studies actually called for. So just follow the label directions, and they can get that benefit, whatever it is for them. You say that sometimes people see these results very quickly, and I think sometimes when you have a family member that's dealing and struggling with this a lot, sometimes it's the family members that are aware of the differences, that mom or dad seems to be remembering, they seem to be sharper. So sometimes if you're not sure, ask those around you what it is that they see. 
You suggested to me that there are some other areas of research on lion's mane. Is that outside the area of the brain? Well, there are more things that are related to the brain and central nervous system or emotional state, as well as some other benefits. It's actually been tested and studied with cancer treatment, particularly gastric cancer, esophageal, liver and skin cancer, and shows some promise. It does have some potent antimicrobial action. In Asia, they've studied it to be effective against MRSA as well as SARS. So there's some immune and antiviral, antibacterial type actions and benefits to it. One of the areas that's real intriguing and is really brand new research, so much so that the research hasn't even been published to this point, there have been two clinical trials now using the amylobin 3399 for sleep apnea. This is a disorder that affects a large part of the population, while for many of us and those of us who have a partner that have sleep apnea, we tend to think of it as an annoyance. It can cause snoring, sucking of air. It's just not real easy to sleep beside someone who's suffering from that. Sleep apnea can actually be life-threatening because what happens is the body actually starts to suffocate. It doesn't get enough oxygen into the system. These two clinical studies actually looked at using amylobin 3399 for sleep apnea. We saw improvements in that. We saw improvements in amount of time asleep. We saw improvements in less waking up at night. They even did measurements as far as oxygen levels in the bloodstream. They saw that when people with sleep apnea took the amylobin 3399, that their oxygen levels stayed higher. So real intriguing and I think promising applications here for sleep apnea Again, it's something that affects a huge part of our population. I was really surprised at the number of people that actually suffer from sleep apnea. The study took place in a two-month time period, so something that you can hopefully see these benefits in a shorter time period for something that there's not a lot out there to help people with sleep apnea in that regard. The other even newer category that for me was actually mind-blowing when I first saw these reports is the use of this amylobin 3399 for schizophrenia. The first case study was just released beginning of this year of an individual who had been diagnosed with schizophrenia something like 36 years ago. He heard things, saw things. He was unable to function, antisocial, no motivation in life. He was really a poster child in many ways for the symptoms that we associate with schizophrenia. He'd been in and out of hospitals. He'd been on and off of medications. And the medications that they use to treat schizophrenia can actually be life-threatening by themselves. For some reason, again, I don't know why, a doctor in Japan put him on the amylobin 3399. The amazing thing is, in a very short period of time, his life actually started turning around. In the period of two weeks, he became more energized. He started talking more started going to bed at a regular time, getting up at a regular time, whereas before he would be up all night and he couldn't sleep, became more socially active, interacting with people. He just generally felt more energized throughout the whole day. After about a month, we saw even more improvements in those areas, becoming more and more motivated, more active. Some of these things we may take for granted, but he became more optimistic. For someone who's lived with this cloud hanging over this head, this inability to really function at the most fundamental levels, to have the world start opening up before you in the period of four weeks is quite profound. These positive results continued. They grew. He was on the amylobin 3399 for about six months or so. He went off the product for a while for personal reasons. Unfortunately, those symptoms started coming back again. So he went back on, thankfully, the amylobin 3399, 
and again, continued to see improvements. People around him saw those responses, started getting out and getting involved in the world, started going to the community center. His parents definitely noticed a major difference in him. He started to bathe regularly. All those things, again, that are just part of that normal day-to-day existence that were missing from his life really all came back to him. He's now at a point where he's been using the product for about a year. He's off the medications for the most part, except when the symptoms start rearing their heads on occasional situations. He uses them for just a few days, deals with those symptoms, and then can move on through this process. When I first read this case study, I got to be frank, I teared up to see such an incredible change and response in this individual for a condition that he was basically going to be diagnosed with this and left with this life till the end. To have a natural remedy that really had such dramatic results with him in a fairly short period of time and a very safe without any of these negative side effects, certainly like some of the pharmaceuticals, to me was extraordinary. The researchers have been doing this is now working with a handful of other doctors who treat schizophrenia. We have seven or eight case studies along these same lines of individuals who've been diagnosed with schizophrenia, anywhere from people in their early 30s to now people in their 80s. People have been living with some of these conditions virtually their whole life, 60, 70 years, are now using the product with a tremendous amount of success in improving their overall quality of life, their desire to be alive, quieting those voices, getting rid of those visions. This is quite extraordinary. This kind of gets to the point earlier that I was making that I think we're really at the tip of the iceberg for the gifts that Lion's Mane and Amylobin 3399 can bring to the table, because we had no idea that, who knew that this little mushroom that looks like a lion's mane would have these types of benefits on such a profound emotional disturbance. I think we'll start to see a wider range of some of these really incredible benefits for this mushroom. It's really heartwarming to see these incredible results for people who at some point in time really were without hope. It is the kind of thing that inspires us. We see these results. We know that results are possible. And while we can't predict on an individual basis, I think we are safe if we assume that a person that is well-nourished and a person that is nourished with specific nutrients targeted for their health situation are going to do better, are likely to do better than somebody who isn't as well-nourished. It's your choice. Do you want to add this concept of nourishing your body or not? And that's what we're here to tell you is that there is good reason to have confidence and faith in these types of nutrients. If there's somebody who wants to follow the research, Mark, is there any website that they can go to that might consolidate some of this for them? Yeah, there is a website. It's www.bioupdate.org. It's a collection of medicinal mushroom research on a number of mushrooms, just not the lion's mane and amylobin product, uh, but on eight or nine different mushrooms that collects uh, a lot of the abstracts and studies that have been done. I know it has some of the dementia studies there posted. Uh, Again, I got to repeat the fact that these case studies that have been done on schizophrenia and the work with sleep apnea are brand new studies. These papers haven't even been published. So those of you that are listening to this podcast really are at the forefront of this use in this application. Now, once those studies are done, they would certainly be published on the bioupdate.org site. But uh, right now, it's mostly the amylobin and the lion's mane research focused mostly on Alzheimer's and dementia. Well, it is there and it will continue to emerge. I hope that you and I get a chance to revisit this topic as some of this research is completed and we understand more about the benefits. 
What about warnings and contraindications? Is there anybody who has a particular health condition or is on a particular medication that should be concerned and know these issues? I really think it's important. And I think it does a disservice to our healthcare providers if we don't let them know what we're taking. If you're ever on pharmaceutical drugs and you're taking any natural supplements, whether it be multivitamins or St. John's Wort or Ginkgo or Lion's Mane or Amylobin, I think it's really important that you approach your doctor, your practitioner, your naturopath, whoever it may be. Let them know to make sure they don't have any issues with it, to make sure there aren't any cross-purposes. If you can't talk to your doctor, go to your pharmacist. Oftentimes, they're a little better versed as far as some of these contraindications. But we really haven't seen anything. My concerns or the issues that I would want to be careful with is lion's mane and I would imagine amylobin 3399. Since they're going to improve your digestive system functionality, you probably don't want to be taking it at the same time you're taking pharmaceuticals because it actually might increase the uptake of those pharmaceuticals. And while that may sound like a good thing, it's not a good thing. So definitely don't take them at the same time. Also because it's an immune stimulant, if you were trying to stay away from immune stimulation, then you need to be careful about it. But in that regard, again, we haven't seen any negative side effects with it. This is a food that's been consumed for thousands of years without any negative side effects. It's been used medicinally in traditional Chinese medicine quite safely. Right now, the evidence is that it's extraordinarily safe. But if you are on medications, definitely let your practitioner know double-check with them or double-check with your pharmacist just to give yourself that extra bit of safety. Yes, and that's good advice for anybody who's under the care of a health professional. Work with them. That's the best of all worlds because they can provide monitoring and oversight of your results as well. So that's always good advice, whatever your health status is. Well, Mark, we're near the end of our time. Boy, it's been an exciting conversation. Are there any last words that you would like to leave with our listeners? I think the last thing I'd like to make a point on is don't wait until you have an issue, particularly when it relates to brain health. I think that's a general rule and guideline for the body as a whole, but specifically with the brain. The reason being is when we start manifesting some of these symptoms, certainly of Alzheimer's and dementia, oftentimes what has happened is a large part or too much of the brain has actually already been damaged, and it becomes a much, much more difficult situation. Alzheimer's and dementia starts decades before we actually see any measurable change in it. So be attentive to brain health as soon as you possibly can and start being attentive to it. Start doing the things you need to do. Start taking some of these supplements, maybe some lion's mane or amylobin, to really work that this prevention path. The saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. When it relates to brain and some of these serious brain disorders, it really is an ounce of prevention is worth 10 tons of cures because it becomes very, very difficult and much more painful disorder to deal with once things start to manifest themselves. And lastly, again, while there has not been studies on using the lion's mane or the amylobin 3399 for general memory, I've used it personally myself. I've gone on and off of it to make sure there's no placebo effect. I've put at least probably 30 people on the product to this date. And again, real nice about it is they start seeing a change almost immediately. I notice a difference the day I start to take it some people two or three days into it. You're looking for just a little more increase in sharpness and brain vitality and recall, energizing that brain. I think you might want to consider the lion's mane or the amylobin 3399. I think it's a great suggestion and people can know fairly quickly. Like you said, they don't have to go for a year to know whether it's working for them. They might see benefits in a very short period of time. 
And that's how you're going to know, folks. You're going to have to try it. The best product is the one that works best for you, but that's your process of discovery. Well, Mark Kaler, as always, it's been most interesting. It's been a wonderful series on mushrooms and on how to be healthier with good nutrition and lifestyle. You've covered a lot of that for us. I'd like to thank you so much for your efforts and for being my guest over this series on mushroom health. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I look forward to our next opportunity to speak. Until then, best wishes and take care. Bye-bye. Well, this is the conclusion of our four-part series with Mark Kaler about nutraceutical mushrooms. It's been an interesting series. I've learned a lot, and I hope that you have as well. Certainly, if you haven't listened to the previous interviews with Mark, go to them. You want to know more about these mushrooms and what they can do for you. Then you can make an informed decision about whether they're the right products for you to try. I'm your host, Steve Lankford. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye. <music>